Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Facebook Live. This is Town Hall with your director. I'm John Zerflu. In the house with me tonight is Dr. O as well. He just Hi. made it by the skin of his teeth coming in at the last <laughs> second there. But I, I can't complain because I was sitting here enjoying my fishy crackers. So a big shout out to whoever put the USA basket together for PTO. This has been my main treat tonight. And I've looks like I've got a few nights to go on this. What do you think? <laughs> I'm going to visit you one day. <laughs> got, yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't share with you virtually somehow. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, I'm going to put up a screen and a couple of uh, slides here to start us off just to bring us uh, focus. And uh, of course, uh, Dr. O, you and I have been talking a lot over the last couple of days. And so we're definitely on board with each other. Um, what I want to share right now, though, is just a couple of uh, kind of pointers and one new graphic today that really thrilled me a little bit. So let me just take you through it. Uh, first of all, we're still very much engaged in Stop, Protect, and React. Everybody knows that out there. Uh, we're quite a bit engaged in React right now. Stop <laughs> and Protect are very much engaged, uh, but uh, we're uh, meeting on a regular basis as we're addressing our cases that are emerging that I'm uh, reporting on every night. Uh, we appreciate everyone's patience as we take on this challenge. Dr. O, this is, this is a lot of stuff going on outside of us that seems to be banging at our doorway. Is that kind of your assessment as well? Yes, the, you know, the, I mean, obviously we're all uh, looking at the same numbers. So 6,500 today uh, or last night. Uh, and again, uh, I was mentioning to you before, these numbers come with a bit of a delay probably. Uh, uh, now, when I'm looking at uh, our clients and we are doing at, at uh, you know, as we're kind of at this stage, several uh, thousand tests a week, uh, we are seeing positivity rates uh, significantly higher than those reported by the government, maybe like six, seven times higher. So the real numbers are, I think, much higher than that. So hence, you know, the outside world is becoming uh, a bit of a nuisance now. And uh, we are also seeing more and more in-house. Uh, and so far, uh, I think we have, uh, you know, we have managed well. We never had any uh, community spread. Mm -hmm. uh, which is which 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 is exactly what you know what we aim to do with the stop protect react protocol and uh, but you know the world outside uh, I, I know I almost had a wish that you know we should kind of have uh, every parent uh, camping out at school you know for the next three months yeah let's just all get into the gym yeah, and pull out the sleeping bags <laughs> and if we all stay here and we we have everything cleaned and shipped in yeah. you know then then maybe we can avoid this but the reality is there's just too many points of exposure out there that everyone is faced with and it's not just us it's other schools throughout moscow we shared uh, data recently on both public and private, how the schools are, are reeling from this uh, across the city. And of course, we're all sitting, uh, you know, biting our fingernails right now, waiting for Warsaw to be labeled as a red yeah. zone uh, in the coming hours. At least that's what the prediction was earlier today. Yeah. So our protocol is working, but it is being more challenged by frequency. Let's, let's, let's leave it at yeah. that. We do want to, you know, just highlight, okay, for school, we had some recent changes. Uh, you and I worked hard to try to get that. We've still got a couple of additional tweaks coming. 
Um, I think we're really going to narrow the contact notification down to Sanipede notification. Um, And so that change will come this weekend on I've been in contact with a confirmed COVID case. Remember, at school, it's not close contact. So it's not part of that contact tracing. And we're doing our own internal contact tracing under the react protocol so uh, it's really more about did you get notified from the outside and actually we've heard from parents where parents have been exposed and have correctly filled this out and where we've actually caught infections as a result of that attestation in the application as well as i just have to shout out to parents you're doing an amazing job with monitoring symptoms and with keeping your kids home when symptoms emerge, ticking the box on the app, keeping siblings home when that's the case. Uh, and then when they, when they come back and we do the retesting, again, we're selectively finding infections before they come back in and spread in schools. So um, the attestation is proving itself to be a real key component of our overall program of that stop protocol at the front side. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, it's, uh, you know, it's still very simple uh, and it's at the same time, it's becoming very powerful, you know, and, uh, and uh, as John said, um, we really appreciate uh, your diligence in filling it out uh, and it's proving that, you know, because again, whatever you input is whatever the app will give us. Uh, so thank you for being diligent. Thank you for filling it out correctly uh, and on time. <laughs> And um, it is really helping the whole community. And in the face of this uh, new challenge, I think I'll just go on to the next one here. Um, Actually, I wanna go down to the last one first. We're ready to announce the testing for parents that's now emerged. So you're ready to go at Epixpert and this is gonna be an e-notes tonight, but I thought I'd throw a slide in. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be able to do parents now more effectively at at the main entrance. Um, it'll be a point of sale there. So we'll be able to, you know, charge for testing. These are significantly reduced rates that you've uh, been able to provide through your partnerships as well as through your source providers. Um, And then we're one step, one small step with the website being ready to actually get into a subscribed program where we can get parents on the regular weekly testing. Yes. Yes. And then obviously with the weekly testing, uh, you know, this price of the antigen test is significantly reduced because then we go into the pooling, then we, we have a completely different. So, you know, you will see kind of uh, uh, more in the two digit uh, <laughs> number here. Exactly. And again, like you said, if we get enough parents to buy in, those cost yeah. savings will be passed yes. on immediately so that we can reduce that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's just, you know, a wonderful opportunity as things continue to challenge us Uh, give one more set of peace of mind to uh, the other family members. By the way, I want to note on the OK for School that uh, parents are doing a great job also of making sure that they tick the box on kids when parents are demonstrating symptoms. Mm -hmm. And that's one that we often overlook or we don't make that leap. Uh, But if parents would start doing the attestation in the app for themselves as well as for their kids, that'll again build that track record and it'll line nicely with the subscribed process, which will then uh, potentially approve some parents to actually do some work inside of school as well. Mm, Exactly. Uh, I want to go back to my graphic now. So this came to me from a staff member today and it just keeps thrilling me every time I look at it. Um, And it has to do with 
how we how what's called the Swiss cheese model. And it really recognizes that not every one of our things by themselves is sufficient and that we really have these multiple layers of things. And in the case of the graphic, it has our four of social distancing and wearing masks and washing hands and rapid testing. But I added on the side all the other bullets of things that we're doing to kind of create that Swiss cheese sandwich of things, the ventilation, the temperature checking, the surface cleaning, the attestation, the cohort isolation, um, and then now I've been encouraging parents really limit the exposure outside of the bubble, curtail the other activities that are with non-ASW kids and, and really, uh, you know, limit that so that we can lock this down a little bit tighter while we go through this uptick in numbers. And what, as we said, you've been doing a great job with keeping sick kids at home to make sure they're okay before they come back to school. And then, of course, our REACT protocols of off-cycle testing, which really are increasing uh, the Swiss cheese layers in order for us to keep us all in good shape. But I, I just love the Swiss cheese model of looking at all of this and being able to address all of these concerns and how together they, they work to keep us um, continuously safe. Despite the fact that we now have infections on our record, we have prevented spread and we have prevented uh, what would have been much more significant had we not had these layers. Can I steal this slide? You may. I'll hand <laughs> it to you tomorrow. It's a great. <laughs> it's a good one. We we should tell them, Doctor O, that we had an opportunity to present. Yeah. What, we didn't have this Swiss cheese model, but we had oh. a lot of other graphics. And we presented at the Association for the Advancement of International Education last week to very positive feedback from all of the heads of school from around the world who attended our presentation. Uh, I don't know how you felt, but I, I felt like, yeah, it really validated for us the work we were doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, already nice enough that they invited us. And then I think the feedback was really tremendous. I mean, there was, uh, what, 50, 60 people, heads of schools from around the world. Uh, you know, I, 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 I was looking at the, at the geographies, you know, and it's just amazing, you know. And uh, I, I was talking to my wife, honey, maybe we should... Uh, you know, I should start working for the Doha school, you know, because they were there. <laughs> we <moved>. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. We had we had Southeast Asia. We had yeah. South America. But we yeah. also had American independent schools yes. who are really That's struggling true. with yeah. what can we do? Um, and we're still in touch. Uh, with a colleague that's uh, helping us look at the white paper and see about potential publishing of that. So uh, we're excited about that possibility as well. And, and we're going to go back to AAIE. They asked us to come back and talk with them again in the next couple of weeks and reflect on, particularly as we work our way through these high number protocols and, and get a handle on where we're going next as things continue to broil around us. Well, we've got questions on Slido. I, I don't see anything in uh, Facebook yet, so I'm going to go to the Slido slides here. So let me pull that sharing back up. So um, one of the things that came up in the last couple of days, and I went around and actually did quite a bit of work on this today, uh, checking classrooms. I wrote some messages this morning that are helping us to mediate this. And all this is, a, is about finding balance. So the first question up there is about classroom temperatures and are they measured? Yes, we are actually doing some more measuring and we are hearing the reports, the cold classrooms, the cold weather kind of caught us. 
but we also have mediated open windows. Uh, we went around and did some uh, deeper investigation today. We've got plenty of ventilation coming in through uh, top vents, special vents that are there specifically to maintain airflow into the classroom without us needing to have all of our windows open. I think the audit recommendations were more about um, opening windows between classes and, and still maintaining comfort level. And so just know we're, we're getting a balance here. And while we may have had a few cold classrooms over the last uh, few days, I think everybody's getting a handle on what they need to do uh, to kind of keep more moderate temperatures. We still want kids to dress warmly. We still want to put fresh air into the classrooms because that's a safety measure. But we're not intending by any stretch, uh, you know, to freeze kids out of rooms. And so please uh, just know we are getting a balance there and it should improve over the next few days. So hopefully that answers that. And, and Dr. O, you, you were part, as part of the audit, you guys talked about our ventilation systems and such. Our main mitigation here is really about keeping classroom doors open and making sure that the yeah, circulation exactly. into the hallways is fully utilized. And that beyond that, we don't really have to have everything open and, and be out of doors all the time. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's the, that's the key recommendation. So let's see, this next one is a similar question. So I think we've answered that. Um, and then this is also about Polish law and temperatures. Yes, we're very much aware of that. And again, we're gonna mediate that and make sure that it doesn't get out of control. As you keep saying there are no contact traces, why do you increase the frequency of tests? Dr. O, can you help yeah. with that one? So uh, as you remember, when we deployed the program, we had a, uh, we developed uh, a protocol which had weekly testing uh, for prevention and then twice weekly testing for protection in a way. So uh, the protocol said, uh, we do weekly testing as long as there are no infections. Once we detect an infection, we increase the frequency of testing to twice a week because this twice weekly, uh, twice weekly testing, according to research uh, that was published by Dr. Mina and Dr. Goldberg, uh, from Colorado, who are kind of our, you know, mentors on this program. Uh, uh, this kind of approach, every three-day testing, reduces the viral transmission factor by up to 99%. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, uh, and the weekly testing, on the other hand, reduces the viral transmission factor by about 89 to 90%. Since uh, we are normally in a state where we had no infection, so we were continuing the weekly, and uh, now since, uh, you know, whenever we have an infection, we want to immediately reduce the spread. So we want to reduce the viral transmission factor. Hence, we then implement this very tight protocol of twice weekly testing, which is as effective, by the way, as the daily testing. And obviously, this is not the only thing that we do because we do, you know, we isolate the person, we increase the kind of frequency of testing, we sometimes uh, let... Uh, you know, kids go into online learning for a day or two just to good to be a bit uh, more cautious if we have uh, if we see there is a link. Um, so this is this is our protocol and uh, it's substantiated in uh, in strong science mm -hmm. and now in real world evidence from us and from many other schools. Yeah. And again, it, I think it probably again aligns with the Swiss cheese model is that no co contact tracing in and of itself. Yeah. is not sufficient to uh, capture everything. And so doing the additional protocols is all about, again, adding layers of the Swiss cheese. Yeah. 
Um, they got a question about Academia. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure it's appropriate to talk about other schools, but do you I have any insight on this? One? Yeah, no, because we are, you know, we are there and we, we are kind of partly responsible. Uh, uh, so uh, Academia was uh, a bit of a, uh, of uh, an issue for us uh, because, uh, as you know, and you know, obviously, I'm not. I will not be revealing any information, any sensitive information, because the school publishes this information to its students, and then obviously there is a lot of mixing. So uh, we had uh, on Monday many cases, okay? And we had actually, uh, uh, when I started analyzing those cases afterwards, I discovered something strange, okay? And I will share with you, and, and this is a learning for us. Mm -hmm. So we had uh, three pools, okay, of five people, where we had the pool was positive, and then each individual in the pool was positive. Wow. So, you know, I immediately caught this, okay? Mm -hmm. And because there must be something wrong, you know, because it never happens uh, that, you know, we have every individual in the pool positive. So I called the same evening, I called uh, uh, the manufacturer and uh, I discussed with them the case and they said that uh, the only possible uh, explanation is that the lot was faulty. Okay. Because it's impossible that we had, uh, you know, because we had essentially every single test was positive. Right. So, and then they checked in their uh, records and it turns out that they had three other uh, submissions of this uh, same kind regarding the same lot. Okay. Okay. So, so now we have obviously discarded the whole lot. Okay. Uh, interestingly, the whole box. So we had, you know, we had three pulls and 15 tests. So 18 tests. So almost the whole box. And this was the box from the lot, you know, this, and for some reason, this was, uh, I don't know how it ended up there because this was the only box that we had. We had, you know, we had purchased like you know, I don't know, 4,000 boxes so far. And this was the only box from that lot uh, somehow. And this, and when we talk about lot, just to explain to people, this is how pharmaceutical companies yeah, yeah, yeah. control Labels. and manage inventory. And the lots are actually distributed. They're not, uh, not an entire lot is set to one location. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's sometimes very random. Sometimes it's per pallet, sometimes it's not. So it's very, it's not necessarily, um, there is some method, but sometimes it's a bit random, especially now that you know the demand for testing <laughs> is increasing. So, uh, so we have reported this as an official uh, kind of uh, faulty. Uh, they issued a recall on this lot. Uh, fortunately, again, we had only one box, and we have now retested everybody. And uh, so far, we have retested, I think, ten out of the fifteen, and all of them are negative. Okay. Okay. So, uh, uh, so again, so we have, we have a learning, okay? And now we, we, we are actually implementing this uh, across our uh, practice, which is whenever we have a positive pull, we are going to do the individual results from a different box, from a different lot. Ah, okay, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes Just sense, as, right? Uh, 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 make, so just as a precaution, uh, because you know sometimes you don't know. It's it's like with uh, you know I I you know I spent 15 years in pharma industry and we had many drug recalls or these specific lot recalls. You know that there was 
a case that uh, I don't know there was some impurity, you know, and they mm -hmm. had to they have to recall the whole uh, the whole uh, lot, uh, or part of a lot, or just a lot that went to a specific country or a specific hospital. Um, so this happens, uh, unfortunately, it happens, and this was the case. And uh, so again, but because uh, we cannot anticipate, uh, this is the protocol that we will implement, and in a way, this pooling is actually protecting us from this uh, because we will do we do two tests so we can do another lot in a way you know because if right. we're doing just individual tests then it's it's a bit more difficult but like this we can actually do you know one pulled and then one individual from a different lot so this is what we're implementing um, again it's uh, unfortunately uh, faulty tests unfortunately a lot of uh, anxiety uh, but uh, I'm happy that it's not the strategy that is faulty, uh, because mm -hmm. this was my initial reaction. Oh my God, how can this happen? Uh, but it's a manufacturing issue, which uh, unfortunately we cannot control. And and that's going to happen with any company, particularly one that's putting out what 10 million tests a month now, or 40 million a week. To... 40 yeah. million a week. <laughs> so yeah, that's it's a that's a, an expected reality of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Well, that helps explain that. Um, I've got a question here about Centipede. Uh, we, it says, as you claim, well, it's not a claim. We are actually yeah. informing Centipede. Uh, why are you allowing students on quarantine getting back for test after six days, not 10 according to the rules? Well, I don't believe that's the case. Although we did allow testing of, of a couple of students who were out on isolation, to double check and see whether there was an infection. And in fact, confirmed that they didn't attend school, but they did come in for drive-through testing. Um, so if that's what we're speaking to, but no, we're not allowing anybody to get back in on the basis of testing that has been duly quarantined by Centipede. In fact, all of our students who've been identified as cases and who Centipede has then contacted relative quarantine, and they're the only ones really able to declare quarantine. What we do is isolation or exclusion. We yes. do not do quarantine. Sanapete is the only one that has authority to do quarantine. And every one of our cases is being reported to Sanapete as soon as there's a PCR confirmatory test. And, and Dr. O, you could probably explain that better, but Sanapete will only take reports of confirmed PCR, PCR testing. Correct. Right? Correct. And so that's why we do follow up PCR on every case with, that we identify internally with our population screening test. Yeah. And then once Centipede declares the quarantine, and actually they might even declare a longer quarantine, and then they follow up with additional contact tracing. And we say very clearly in all of our documents, you follow what Centipede does first and foremost. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. They, they are the authority. You follow their rules after that we retest and return to school. And so that's the number that I'm reporting in the daily statistics that says these are the number of people who are now out of infection and have done their time and have tested and have returned to school. And, and remember that, you know, we are anticipating, as, and as John said, you know, we are not quarantining anybody, but we are anticipating what Sanepid would do. Because if we test somebody positive today, we do it with the antigen test. We do a PCR. The PCR is available in two to three days. Uh, we report to Sanapid in two to three days. Then Sanapid comes back to somebody after four days from the report or six days mm -hmm. from the report. And they say you have to do a quarantine for 10 days from the PCR right. test. 
Okay. Yep. So we're actually doing our exclusion up front until we're doing up front. contacted by Centipede. We're taking, as you talked, the react, we're doing our quick action to exactly. make sure that we've done everything we need to do to protect the community while we wait for Centipede to follow its process and, and do its, its normal. Thing. And I'd rather be safe than sorry. And again, you know, even, even if we do have a false positive, for example, that's fine because you know it will happen once in a while that we will have a false positive, which will not. Be, I think I don't think we have a false positive yet uh, at ASW. So right. all the positive were were confirmed by PCR. Yep. Um, and uh, but even if we have a false positive, I'd rather isolate this person immediately after the test rather than wait for Sanepi seven days to contact them and tell them they have to isolate themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And that was one of the learnings also from the University of Illinois that they said, look, you know, it's, it's nice that we have a rapid testing system, but we also need the rapid response system. Exactly. That, and multiple colleges that also yeah. learned that lesson yeah. as well. Yeah. Isabel, thank you for that. Uh, she's th congratulating us yes. and saying amazing thank work. You. So appreciate, appreciate the feedback. And then her question, which is, what if Warsaw goes red zone? I mentioned that today and I've mentioned it earlier. Um, and also close, I'll deal with the closing, but Dr. O, what about Warsaw going to a red zone? Any thoughts on that and what that means for us other than what we've already said? I don't think there is anything related to schools, to be honest. They may implement, you know, mask wearing, which we already have. I mean, we are, any, we are operating anyway in a red zone in, in, terms of, in terms of precautions that we take. Right. Uh, so uh, I don't think it will affect significantly. It affects mainly, you know, uh, I mean, they they then say that uh, the virus uh, sleeps between uh, 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. So the bars uh, cannot can be open and or sleeps between 6 a.m. And, and 10 p.m. and then it goes live. So the bars will be open till 10, and then the I think the meetings can be maximum 25, not 50, etc. So it's more the gatherings and yeah. the pubs and restaurants rather than schools. It's more uh, politics and policy than it yeah, is actual politics. practice, right? Exactly. And so for us to answer the second question, um, you know, we're kind of talking about this right now. Our current opinion, and this could change, is that we will not necessarily close when public, when or if public schools do. Again, largely because of what Dr. O said earlier, because we're doing the protocols, because we have uh, far more in terms of Swiss cheese layers that we're using here than what are available uh, to the public schools. And so we believe that we can remain open until, and Dr. Oak, correct me if I'm wrong, until we see um, internal spread yeah, in yeah. the school. And that, that's the, the one that's worrying to us and then would have us closed down, but certainly not for the, an extended period no. of time. It would be for a period of time until we can retest and re-enter. And this is, you know, I mean, we had the test case in uh, back in August, I think, when we had uh, quasi-community spread, let's say, uh, in one grade level. And this is when we closed down middle school for, I think, through it was three or four days. Right. Uh, so we will be implementing those things on a temporary basis. Uh, unless, again, the, I mean, uh, the government may say full lockdown of everybody, not just schools, but just full lockdown and you have to stay home, uh, then it's a different story. But I think other than uh, this, this type of military measure, um, you know, uh, I, 
we we are you know the, the school is safer than anywhere else to be honest so right <laughs> I, I, well with everything <laughs> that we've got in place you would presume so <laughs> and i and i do believe that yeah and 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 i think that answers this next question which is about what would it take for us to return to virtual school, it really would take that internal spread and it really would be virtual school for limited periods yeah. of time in order for us to make sure that we've got protocols, we've reacted effectively and that we've stemmed the tide of any further infection in order for us to come back mm -hmm. um, and do that in a safe way. Yeah. So I think that answers that. Um, activities outside of school. Isabel, thanks for this question. I was wondering if the school can include more extra activities. We're, we're gonna look at that. Uh, you know, we got limited space and people to apply to this, uh, but I definitely recognize that by asking you to curtail the outside activities, we needed to look at what else could we do here in school to provide alternatives and options for kids. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to work diligently on this, work with uh, both our, our athletics and activities people to see what we can pull off as the next uh, term comes up. Um, and, and see what we can add. Um, it's challenging uh, because of space, because of a variety of reasons, because we're still maintaining activities within their cohort boundaries. Uh, but I, I hear you and I, and I do have that as a priority to take a look at. So thanks for that. Um, oh, please, yes, teachers, please hear this. Uh, elementary children, make sure they wear their coats outside. That's always every year we're talking about that yeah. and making sure kids, you know, wear their jackets when the temperatures start to get cooler out there. Even as a kindergarten teacher, it seems like I was always checking and making sure everything was zipped up. If you don't zip it up, right, then it's going to come off the minute they get outside. Yeah, I'm just exactly. saying. <laughs> and so, yeah, helping kids remember to change their close as the weather changes is important to us and we will be doing that. I know we do. Um, ASA for ES, yes. Uh, and now part of my last question. So thank you for that. And then we'll be looking at that. Happy Polish Teachers Day. Gosh, I almost forgot. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mentioned this, I think a week ago in a newsletter, but I knew this was coming up. So happy Polish Teachers Day. Happy Polish Teachers Day. There you go. Uh, let's see, what measures do you take against parents that lie on the app? Um, you and I talked about this earlier tonight, Dr. O. We did. I just have to say that, you know, we both come from the point of view of uh, assuming the best of intentions on the part of all of our parents and, and all of our community. Um, I don't know what measures can be taken other than to talk to the parents as we become aware of it and, uh, and confront it. Um, there's really not much else I can do outside of that. Um, you know, it, it really is up to parents to help each other. This, we're all in this together. Yeah. Uh, you know, we all have to be in this for each other and together. And it can't be about trying to skirt um, the app because the app is what's protecting us. And so I trust our parents. I, I, think, I think all of our parents are doing and trying to do the right thing. And I, I find it hard to um, accept or even assume um, that parents are doing something that somehow would undercut everyone's health. I, I, I just, I know you all out there are doing your best and I know it's challenging and I know we're all challenged, but I also know you're making decisions out of a, 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 a total concern for the community and for each other and for all of your friends and neighbors 
um, as we take on this, uh, this pandemic together. And it is, it's a pandemic. We have not experienced this in hundreds of years. Um, this is new to all of us. And I think we're all gonna have to find our path together. And I, and I presume based on the comments I'm getting back, based on the people I'm interacting with, that while there may be inadvertent mistakes, and I, and I accept that, um, there's no willful activity out there that's aimed at undercutting the health of our community. Okay. Um, PCR tests available to parents valid for travel. The PCR yeah. tests, yes, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So when, when you do the PCR, this is actually through your contract with Diagnostica, correct? correct. Yep. And so those come with uh, a code that you can actually pull your test results down online and they are valid for travel. Think ahead in terms of timeframes, because as Dr. Very o pointed tough. out, PCR takes a couple of days to get processed and that time frame could get longer, right? Very, it's very challenging these days and it's everywhere. And uh, Diagnostica is now rarely doing in two days, to be honest. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I know they have, most airlines have the 72 hour, uh, I think, uh, requirement. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's tough these days. No, seriously, it's, uh, I mean, I, 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 I am calling like the lab now, you know, and uh, telling them, look, I, I need this ID to be put uh, first. And they're saying, you know, we had like a hundred calls like this mm -hmm. <laughs> already, <laughs> including the prime minister, you know, and his staff. And I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> thank you very yeah. much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, and it's just the more, the more the cases rise and the more the testing rate, because yeah. I think it was a 14% positive rate for all yeah. tests done yeah. today. And of course, we want that to be closer to three, but that means a lot more tests being done, which does put strains on the system. But there is a, there is a, Diagnostica has now also a, an option uh, to purchase the super fast PCR, okay? So they have the Cepheid machine, uh, which does the PCR in about uh, an hour or so. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they do it. So now you can purchase it, I think, through this website called Zdrowegeny, Healthy Genes in Polish, zdrowegeny.pl. And uh, it costs 800 zloty. And the challenge is that they have, uh, you know, the manufacturer is like selling them uh, something like 10, 10 tests per day. They have a wow. quota. They have a quota, you know. Right. Uh, so uh, it's also very hard to get it same day because sometimes they already, they say they have a queue of about 35 every day and they can only do 10. Oh, wow. Oh, well, that's the demand, right? And, the, and we saw that coming. All right. Um, extra precautions taken after the October break. Well, we've already established the testing schedule and that's in, I think, in e-notes tonight. Um, and so signing up for appointments for Friday, I think we've got some times on Saturday and then our full Monday, Tuesday schedule while we're doing conferences. But Dr. O, you and I were just talking, we haven't firmed up all these plans no. yet, but we were just talking about a modified testing schedule after that into the next week or so of school. That's the point, yeah. Um, that would have us doing extra checking uh, to make sure we've caught anything that might be coming out of October break. It's the critical, it will be a critical part. And uh, obviously we want to return to school safely. 
and uh, we, uh, you know, the, the the most challenging will be the first two weeks because obviously in the first week we will catch some, uh, but we will not catch all. We will only catch most of them in the second week probably. So that's why I think you will be seeing a bit more frequent testing in the first two weeks, and hopefully this will uh, get us to. Uh, you know, quickly eliminating those imported cases. Got it. So let, we'll, we'll be talking more about that and we'll put more information out about that as we get closer to the October break, probably next week in e-notes so that everybody will know yeah. what we plan to do after the break in addition to the re-entry testing. And everybody has to do the re-entry testing. So um, you'll have an opportunity to schedule appointments. We'll have two testing stations set up for the drive-through so we'll be able to avoid lines. Uh, the appointment scheduling will be in power school, just like we did before the start of school. So everybody's familiar with it. Um, you're also scheduling, obviously, your online Zoom co parent conferences with teachers. Uh, that'll be available as well. And hopefully, uh, we'll have everything in your hands before we go off to October break. And then everybody's going to stay home, right? And we're all going <laughs> to yeah. hunker down and we're all going to play lots of puzzles. Go, yeah. go get your puzzles now because it's going to be time to put jigsaw puzzles together uh, during October break and enjoy each other's company as a family. Take that break at home. Um, that's the encouragement from here uh, so that we can uh, keep each other safe as we get through this most difficult time period. There really is not a safe place to go. Yeah. Um, your home is the safest place. And I'm just saying that out of care and concern for all of you. We were even uh, considering offering the weekly testing through the break. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we still might consider adding a day in there. I did, we did talk about that today. So if, if it looks like we need some additional appointments and things like that, um, we'll certainly try to set that up. I've got a couple of miscellaneous ones about classrooms. So there's a shout out to teachers to uh, put due dates on assignments in Google classrooms so that there's uh, uh, reminders. Um, I think that will get sorted in, in uh, Guardian summaries and such. So just look for that. Um, soccer coach. Yeah, I'll pass that on to Neil and let him talk to the soccer people about shin protection. The kids should all be wearing shin protection and that should be required. So uh, we'll check into that and make sure that that's being followed. Um, Dr. O, this great Barrington declaration. Uh, we had a little bit of email dialogue on this. Yeah. Uh, it's got a little bit of controversy around it because... Uh, you know, there's a lot of debate on it. And it, it, I think, and then this is where I get into the science and I should just default to you, uh, but it's talking about herd immunity again, which is yeah. a constant hot button topic. Do you want to talk about it just briefly? And then I'll move over here to Facebook questions. Look, I mean, it's, um, it's a tough question. And there are two, you know, there are two uh, ways and, uh, you know, the Great Barrington Declaration a bit uh, reminds me of my time when we were writing the manifest COVID-19 PL, uh, which was the, the Polish version, which I uh, kind of spurred together with, uh, <clears throat> with a group of uh, 25 uh, kind of like-minded, not necessarily like-minded, but, uh, but uh, much smarter people than myself. And uh, we also talked about uh, this uh, possible herd immunity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the challenge with, and so we talked about two different strategies. So one strategy is limiting infections and the other is limiting deaths. Okay. Right. 
And uh, so far, we have focused a lot uh, our strategies on limiting infections because through limiting infections, we're limiting deaths. Now, another strategy is to focus on limiting deaths. And there, uh, you know, we say, okay, uh, in order to, in a long-term limit deaths, we need to uh, build uh, immunity, natural immunity before the vaccine is, uh, is available. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think the, obviously the poster child is Sweden and, uh, and they have had, uh, it seems, success. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the recent numbers, their infection rates are kind of oscillating, but relatively high, but deaths are low. So it seems that in that time period, uh, they actually managed to build herd immunity. Now, I will remind you that during the March, April, May time frame, time frame their death rate increased by 25% versus the average monthly death rate. Uh-oh. 25%. Okay. Yeah. Now, 25% for Poland means about uh, 100,000 deaths extra a year. That's a big number. That's a big number. Now, uh, in Sweden, it meant like 10,000 or 15,000. Okay. There's much, much smaller country. Smaller population. Yep. And uh, they have a longer, uh, in general, longer age expectancy. So, uh, you know, it's a difficult one when suddenly you say, well, I will let 100,000 extra people die uh, this year so that next year uh, there will be fewer. And still, it's a bet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a uh, political standpoint and even a human standpoint, if I were the Minister of Health, I would, I would be very torn, you know, because, uh, you know, on one hand, I would say yes, in the, uh, let's say, three-year time frame, maybe it will work. But the key word is maybe. And I'm risking 100,000 deaths here, 100,000 lives. And I don't know, you know, on one hand, I could say, well, but I'm only risking the ones who would die anyway. That's mm -hmm. the kind of purest theory. <clears throat> because these are the older guys who would die either this year or next or the following, or maybe in five. But they are anyway not productive so much in the society. Uh, we are paying, uh, you know, taxes so that they can have their, uh, you know, uh, uh, payments, their, uh, how do you call it, retirement payments. So uh, maybe it's a good way to manage this uh, aging population. But how do you humanely, you know, stand in front of the mirror and say, go? Yeah, I'm kind of struggling with that one. You know, <laughs> on the other hand, you could say, well, Okay, so let's not do this. Uh, let's uh, uh, lock down the older guys, okay? And this was actually one of the things we put in the manifest COVID-19 PL. And we said, let's protect the ones who are the most vulnerable. Let's right. not protect everybody because everybody is less vulnerable, okay? So the death rate for a 40-year-old is 1%. The death rate for the uh, you know, 80-year-old is 15%. So then you also, then you start calculating, okay, so how many 40-year-olds do I have and kind of uh, uh, 30 to 50-year-olds? Well, I have 10 million. Okay, so I'm going to sacrifice 1% of them. That's 100,000. That's still 100,000. <laughs> That's still a big number and not, not really the greatest. It's still 100,000. It's yeah. still 100,000. Okay, so uh, 
so that, that's where you know once you get into again you know i mean uh, mm -hmm. obviously you can do uh, a lot of different calculations but once you start getting into the numbers you always go into high numbers and then obviously it's still a bet because yeah. uh, we still don't know because the worst case scenario would be you do that and you don't get herd immunity well, and that's the other piece, because you actually uh, shared the article with me about the reinfection that everybody's studying yes. in the United States right yes. now. Yes. Um, and not just that one, but there are a few cases around the world. There are a few cases around the world. <laughs> uh, and I think there was also an article about, um, you know, the genetic testing yes. of the COVID virus now that has yielded clear indications that there are now multiple mutations. Absolutely, absolutely. And so part of this reinfection might be that there's mutations involved, um, but also this general sense that we don't really know about immunity yet. We, we don't, don't know, know if there's long-term immunity. We don't know if it's, if it's a short-term immunity. There was another article, I think, about somebody who was tested and already his antibodies are fading after you know, a three, four months period. Um, so we really don't know this yet. So it seems that the Barrington Declaration may not be taking that into account. And, and all the other factors that you mentioned about the potential losses associated with trying to achieve something that may not be achievable. That's the, that's the challenge, you know, that in the end, this COVID may be like the flu, except just a very, very severe flu with very, very severe consequences. But from a uh, kind of immunological standpoint, it may be like the flu. And uh, I will remind you that you may get the flu several times during a flu season. Right. I've experienced that. So I can raise my Me hand. Too. I have, you know, in the last 15 years, I have not vaccinated myself against the flu once. Only mm -hmm. there was one time. You know how many times I had the flu? Three times. Yeah. Every, every month, every four weeks, I had the flu. And every single one was more severe than the previous one. And likely different strains, right? Because probably that, different that strains. The that we're it getting is an array of strains already. It was it's four strains. Yeah. So again, if COVID is like this, then herd immunity will just not exist, period. It no. may exist for a few months, it may exist for a month, or it may not exist at all, or it may exist in some people and not in others. Mm -hmm. So again, taking a big bet, uh, knowing so little, I think is just uh, reckless, uh, yeah. you know, if not something more. <laughs> Uh, crazy. All right. Well, that takes care of that one. And that takes care of Slido for right now. I want to make one other point and then I want to go over to uh, Facebook here and, and catch up. I've got lots of things here that I haven't uh, seen yet. Um, but we mentioned the flu vaccine and you and I didn't get a chance to wow. talk about this today, but it's just we're struggling. We don't have sources. No, we don't have sources and I don't have sources. And I know I I promised you that I will be looking and I'm looking and uh, I have uh, you know, the manufacturers, I have everybody. The challenge is yeah. uh, about 80% of the orders are immediately seized by the government, okay? Right. So whatever the uh, distributor orders from the manufacturer, from the factory, mm -hmm. uh, immediately upon receipt, they have to send 80% of the supply to the government. Right. Okay. So they only are left with 20%. So they say uh, they uh, literally, so when, when they have an order from a pharmacy for a hundred 
let's say, uh, doses, the pharmacy is getting one. Oh, no. Yeah, so they're well, reducing that, that by 99%. Well, and then you and I had already talked too about how some of production has been naturally shifted to COVID. COVID. Even though we don't have a vaccine yet, there is production going on out in advance of yeah. a vaccine getting approval that is literally siphoning away from flu vaccine preparation. It's the same. It's usually, uh, you know, the same manufacturing approach. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, if it's a live vaccine or attenuated vaccine, it, you still need to produce it using uh, living cells. And uh, so, uh, you know, and, and they had, you know, some of the manufacturers have committed to manufacturing 2 billion doses, for example. Right. Uh, the total production, total worldwide production of flu vaccines is 6.5. So, and here they're promising on COVID-2, one manufacturer. <laughs> right. Okay. So obviously they have to shift and, you know, and they're not going to build factories for this one. They have to use the existing ones because mm -hmm. remember that uh, if they don't get approval, they have to throw away the 2 billion doses they produced. Right. <laughs> That's the other thing too, is and with what, nine, 10 candidates out there, you have to estimate that at least there will be a statistical attrition of these. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pop over here to Facebook. Um, we had one comment about implementing on-campus testing for parents and you've already, already talked yes. about this and it's concern about the load. And we have plans for that. We yeah. feel that we can handle some of that in our existing scenario. Uh, but during the break, we're also going to be uh, looking at other options for how we can facilitate that without putting undue load um, on what we're doing internally. And so, uh, again, it kind of depends upon the uptick and what steps we'll take. But we have plans, and we really don't think it will be uh, the significant load that we might imagine. There will be a, a, a cohort of parents that will opt into this, volunteers and things like that, that will want to uh, be part of the of, of the school and want to follow the program and also peace of mind, of course. But I think I think we'll be able to manage it and we'll manage it uh, step by step. Plus, Dr. O, you also will uh, potentially have some offsite centers separate from what we're doing um, yes. that people will be able to go to as well on a separate scenario, though, a different different program. Uh, but and of course, we still have our drive through centers with Diagnostica and others that will be able to backfill us as well. So we can call a stop if we get to a capacity point and say, you know, we can't do any more here, but there's other choices for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and we are also discussing with Diagnostica how we can extend our partnership. So and maybe the drive through centers will be one of the areas that we also expand. So. Yep. Okay, I'm going to scan through here. There were some follow-up questions on that topic, but I think they were handled in the chat stream here. Um, the valid for seven days, that, that refers to um, the subscription program. So mm -hmm. if you subscribe to the antigen, then it has a seven-day life. It basically just aligns with the app. So the parent who's opting into the program, the subscribe program, would follow the same program that the kids are following. They would stop in for testing on every seventh day. The, they would do the attestation. And by doing all of those pieces of Swiss cheese, um, we would be able to have them potentially be in the school community. Again, only for uh, prescribed tasks and things that they're being involved in. We're not looking at this as a wide open campus by any stretch at this point. 
Um, but it does allow for us to recapture some of our volunteer force, uh, people that are helping with various things around the school, our PTO, um, and those uh, you know that have a, have a, have an interest in helping and doing things around the school. So there would still be cohort limitations, obviously, and a variety of other components to this um, that we're going to need to work out. So just uh, um, know that parents, we're going to work through those details. Um, Maria is reminding us about the PTO coffee morning on Friday. It's a Zoom coffee, uh, and so we'll be zooming in together. Uh, we've got a few more happy Polish Teachers Day online here. Um, uh, saliva tests uh, coming to other countries, and you and I have been reading ravenously about this. Where, yeah. how close are we in Poland to this? I know that parents out there are concerned about wanting to. Yeah to do some of the testing more easily. We read the NBA articles about, uh, I think it was uh, saliva, pooled saliva, PCR? PCR. Yeah. But it, where, where are we at with saliva? And the paper test, Dr. Mina's solution. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, the $1. Well, day. he has it. So he has, he has developed a test at, uh, with the guys at Harvard. Uh, so the test is there. It's not uh, commercialized. It's not approved, but uh, apparently they have it developed. So let's see. Uh, I mean, there's so many things, you know, coming out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit uh, always, uh, you know, I'm on one hand reading with fascination. On the other hand, I know uh, the hurdles, you know, uh, for these types of uh, new gimmicks to actually come to market. And, uh, you know, the, the, the best example is like this uh, Biomed Lublin uh, last week or two weeks ago announcing in the media that they have, uh, 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 they have a drug for COVID-19. Ah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, in the, so this is the headline. And then in the first line, they say, and we have to now do clinical trials of the drug. <laughs> so big news, <laughs> but... Yeah. And then, and by the way, so we have to now prove that it actually works. Yeah. So what do you yeah. have? Well, so we just have like, uh, we have an idea, basically. They have an yeah. idea. So there is a lot of these uh, COVID hype uh, companies that are actually, you know, unfortunately, they are, you know, listed on the stock exchange and they're appreciating in value crazily upon mm -hmm. any news of anything related to COVID. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we have to a bit sift through this uh, you know with our own uh, swiss cheese you know yeah. uh, bra brains uh, but the saliva tests are there okay so there are already pcr tests who are approved which are approved for saliva testing now these are pcr tests so so it's uh, still lab and cost and still labs their costs and machines as i saw machines, and variety and, of uh, today you know turnaround time so a bit less uh, practical now we have, as you know, as I mentioned to you already, we have, uh, we are collaborating with this uh, Wrocław-based company, Genomtech, uh, which uh, is uh, developing this LAMP test, mm -hmm. which has developed the LAMP test, and they have validated it on saliva, okay? So the LAMP test is basically a quasi, -PC it's a new, it's a more modern PCR version, more modern version of the PCR test where instead of amplifying the genome of the virus in various temperature cycles, it's a one temperature cycle. So it's isothermal. We should probably explain, you know, you've talked about PCR tests before as terms of lab equipment and, and 
low cost reagents that are used in terms of doing the test, but we haven't really talked much about these machines. So these machines are very high sensitivity, light and temperature controlled environments that run a sample through a series of steps yep. in order to achieve a result. So basically, you know, it's, it's actually quite simple. <laughs> so you have a, a piece of the a piece of the genetic material okay right and you have these two they're called primers or starters so you have these two uh, enzymes which cut the, the piece of dna in two places and they create this one strand okay so mm -hmm. this fragment and then they add uh, uh, another enzyme which then uh, replicates this uh, strand you know and right. first two replications then four then eight then 16 etc Okay, and every time there's a replication, it doubles. Okay, got it. And then, so theoretically, then you, so you're uh, multiplying the number of uh, this RNA, so it's more easily detectable at the end. Okay, right. And when it becomes detectable, then uh, it also uh, then it kind of starts uh, shining, you know. And there's a spectrophotometer which actually shows. Okay, there's a, a luminosity. This is the fascinating part, right? It just it. It starts shining. light. Yeah. It senses light, yeah. It senses or color change or light. So, uh, so, uh, but the process is a bit more complex because first, what you have to do uh, before you actually splice, uh -huh. you have to denature the the material, the genetic material, so that it's two strands rather than right. one strand. Right. Because the polymerase actually has to attach itself to one strand. It cannot attach itself to two strands. So first, you have to have very high temperature to denature the strands, to cut right. the strands in a, uh, through thermal uh, lysis. Then you lower the temperature to right. stop the process. And then you increase it slightly to activate the polymerase so that it can do the amplification. Got it. So another cycle, high temperature uh, denaturation, then uh, low temperature to stop, and then higher temperature to cycle, etc. And so you can you can kind of think about this. So there's multiple machines lined up side by side. Yeah. And samples are are waiting to go in, and then when they go in, it's kind of like hands off. You can't touch it because no. it's got this cycle no, it has to go through. And then at the end of that uh, assembly line, a, a result comes out and exactly. gets put on paper, and everything gets collated together. And then the next sample goes in. But how is Lamp uh, improving on this process, or is it basically the same thing? So. So lamp, and I, and I omitted one step in the whole process, which is yeah. actually once you have the swab, yeah, you actually have to isolate the uh, the genetic material from the sample. Okay, got it. You cannot so just put the swab into the machine, because the genetic material is enclosed by this protein. The um, right, know, and so the antigen test is detecting the protein. That's why we don't need this uh, special step. But here you need this isolation. So first, you actually have to break up the protein. Right, and you do it either through enzymes or again temperature, high temperature. Then once you have the nascent kind of naked uh, genetic material, then you can do the amplification cycle. But first, you have to isolate the RNA, and this is also a quite a complicated process. Uh, usually, it's roboticized, so there are machines who do it. But for example, uh, they're like the biggest machine; they do like twenty-four per hour, twenty-four right. samples per hour. Okay, but then once you do that. Then you put it into the thermocycler, and then in the thermocycler you can do up to three hundred, uh, like sixty or even nine hundred. I think uh, the biggest ones. So, so you you have to imagine that you have to have like 
you have to have 10 or 20 of these robots for the isolation of RNA so that you have enough samples to load one big cycler. Right. <laughs> huh? So you have to think about this on scale now. So you're talking about yeah, like one sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One sample. about thousands that they're processing yeah, a day. they're processing several thousands a day. Okay. So that's the, that's the lab. So now, LAMP has two advantages. One advantage is uh, the RNA isolation can be done through heating. Okay. So because it can be done through, because you don't need much uh, of this and this heating is not destroying the, and there's a different enzyme than for amplification. So you do it through heating and uh, this way you are avoiding this robotic uh, machine or this 20 robotic machine. Uh -huh. Which is a big piece time. of the puzzle. A big piece of the puzzle. Okay. So that's one thing. So, and this heating is like, okay, so you heat it for one minute or two minutes, and then you have the isolated RNA. Okay. So that's one piece. The other piece is you don't need three different temperatures ah. in the, in the uh, amplification steps. So they have a different model of amplification. It's also based on these starters and polymerase, but <clears throat> there's a different uh, set of enzymes. So they work actually in a single temperature and they do uh, loops out of this uh, genetic material. So you don't have to denature with the high temperature and then lower the temperature and then go back to the kind of mid temperature. So you avoid the high and the low. Got it. And that must so speed up the time. So this speeds up the time because you, you, know, you don't have to. Huh? It reduces the size of the machine because you don't have to have a heater and a cooler. Right. Okay. It reduces the power consumption, so the machine can actually be mobile and battery operated. Ah. And it significantly reduces the complexity of the whole process. So it's actually quite easy. Okay. So, for example, this Abbott ID now, you know, this famous one which right. Uh, right, right. used at the White House, not so effectively, uh, is based on isothermal amplification. Okay. It's not lamp. It's a different type, but it's also an isothermal machine. So, so using there, some of that, some of that process. Some, but so it's a bit way. similar. Okay, so that's why it gives results fast. Now the downside, the biggest downside today, is that the throughput is very low. Mm -hmm. So you can do maximum eight samples in these typical machines. Okay, uh -huh. they're, they're only now working on these big industrial machines where you could put a thousand. I got you. So they haven't scaled up production. Mm -hmm. to they haven't scaled up size so, because they're so still far. in proof test. Because so far this technology has been, until about two three years ago, most mainly a scientific tool in science labs. Okay, at universities, then it kind of saw the light of commercial use through Abbott ID now and through a couple of other machines. Right. But they were limited to point of care testing in a setting where you know a patient has uh, in a hospital has sepsis, and they need to do okay which pathogen is causing the sepsis so that they can administer an appropriate antibiotic today, not in three days when they get the PCR test. Right. right. They had one patient yeah. you know, or two. But we've talked about that before. That's where, again, diagnostic science takes a different path. And you talked about your emergency room experience and now exactly. you have to rely on some of those things that can get you yes. down the pathway a bit faster. Exactly. So that's where LAMP is extremely useful today in this point of care, single patient type testing, still not, uh, still not useful for population screening like we are doing at ASW. Right. But we are working with Genome Tech on, uh, on this industrial scale machine, which would do a thousand, okay? Okay. Now, if we get that, and so that's number one, and number two, they have validated for us the saliva. 
Ah, that's the other key piece too, is that saliva has now become a viable sample yes, for lamp. Yes. Right. So now we can do the whole test in uh, 15 minutes. Okay. Okay. But we can do eight at a time. Right. In one machine. Okay. And, and pooling? We're not validated yet with pooling. So we are working so on that. That takes another <laughs> That's another <laughs> <laughs> so we're probably a little ways off yet. Before. Still a little way off, ways off, but but this is, I think, the next uh, big wave, and this is the one I'm betting on this time. I, as much as on in June, I bet on antigen testing, when uh, everybody was fascinated with PC, PCR. Um, I made a conscious choice not to invest in a PCR lab, but rather to go into the antigen testing. And spend most of my time uh, working with uh, several companies on validating the antigen tests, and finally we zeroed one on this one. And uh, now my next bet is lamp, so uh, this industrial scale lamp. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, and you you tell me all the time I'm learning enough science that I could probably go back for a doctorate here. But um, yeah, for sure, I, I presume again, like the PCR, once you've got a lamp machine set up, and once you've got uh, that initial cost of equipment the reagents are much less expensive they're much less expensive your cost per test goes down significantly the reagents are much much less expensive so and more and more available and more available they are more expensive than pcr because pcr is older and you know already genericized so right. pcr is like half price still but the lamp is uh, i mean so they're now selling this genomtech is selling this lamp test uh, in uh, wholesale uh, for something like 45 zloty. Got it. Per test. Okay. So th these are the reagents. That rivals antigen then. It rivals antigen. Yeah, it rivals yeah. antigen. So, uh, but if they could go down with scale, because today they have low scale, uh, then it would be an extremely viable option because again, it offers the possibility of uh, uh, saliva and it is genetic. So theoretically it has a higher uh, or a lower limit of detection. Wow. So it will have a wider window of detection. So whereas in the antigen, we're saying we're detecting those who are about to become infectious uh, or are infectious or about to finish being infectious. With LAMP, we would be saying uh, we are detecting those who got infected yesterday. Okay, because so again, it also expands that window. It expands the window. Yeah. And that, so, that's certainly something we're all hoping for. But that's a nice one because with the weekly testing, uh, we could be implementing kind of a protocol based on both actually, because with the ah. lamp, right? So some, some kind of a mix Mixing. because, yeah. uh, because the lamp would be detecting us at the early stage in the first days after. So for example, all the people who come, for example, after break, right? This, this would be ideal. This could be this our be idea. Yeah. yeah? it would catch any early infections that we early wait for for the next cycle then in the off cycle testing we could actually be doing much more limited off cycle and tomorrow not in three days wow so that's the you know so that's the next step uh, <laughs> so that's our foray into deep science tonight and i hope you're going to watch this video over and over again and hear all about how pcr works and how lamp works and how we're all crossing our fingers and hoping that all this stuff goes down the pathway. We hope it goes down. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Fascinating. Uh, let's see. Um, you, we panicked a bunch of 40 year olds out there. I'm just saying um, you're one in a hundred at 40 years old. What, that was just conjecture. We don't actually know what that percentage death rate is for 40 year olds. 
you were you were just talking about that from the standpoint if you had that if, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i was talking i was just giving an example I, it's uh, and nobody knows obviously because uh, we have very limited knowledge but uh, but uh, i was just giving kind of an example of uh, <clears throat> the fact that covid is has more of a death rate than uh, flu so flu is kind of uh, 0.1% so uh, just easier to calculate <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no i hear you i hear you um, I have one more comment here, still sticking with PCR for one minute longer. Cobus Liat PCR yep. system recently launched by Roche. Yes, that one. I don't know that one. So it's a it's a it's a, like a multiplex PCR. So it's a bit like the BioFire, you know, the one that does the quick turnaround. The quad that does the quick turnaround. So it's a PCR. It's a PCR technology. It's like the Cepheid one that Diagnostica has that they're charging 800 zloty. Uh, it's like the Kiastat from Kyagen. Uh, it's like the Biofire from Biomeria. And Cobas Liat is, uh, is another uh, kind of, uh, yeah, another one. Uh, it's still a PCR based. Uh, it's still, uh, it, it is more automated. So usually it does not require the RNA isolation step either. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, it's it's also a nice option. It's also a nice, relatively expensive though per test. Right. So it's still hanging in the PCR territory. It's like in the no even more like the re reagent. No, it's higher because it's a closed system. So you ah. actually have to buy uh, you know kind of branded reagents that only fit to this system. You cannot buy anybody anything uh, you know cheaper. It's usually in cassettes. So it's usually more. I, I can't remember whether Liat. I think Liat is also in cassettes. Yeah. And it, it comes to like uh, $70, $80 per test. Right. So okay. Just reagent. Again, it, a lot of this is about figuring out how to balance all these factors. You want something that's got a cost point for cost benefit analysis. You've got to have access to materials and, and supplies to keep it going for the long haul. You've got to have a uh, factor in the price point of the equipment up front and getting it set up. There's just so many of these factors together. I guess that's why we hire you though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. It's, it's many factors. And, you know, in the end, uh, all of them are somehow complementary to each other. Yeah. So that's where the beauty comes of those technologies that, uh, you know, all of them have, its, have their place, you know, because the antigen will always have its place. In HIV, the antigen test is the basic screening tool. Nobody's right. screening people with PCR. Right. Uh, the standard of uh, screening in HIV recommended by CDC by WHO is an antigen test. They actually have an antigen antibody test yep. because for HIV, it's, it's uh, less critical whether right. you got infected yesterday, but whether you got infected in the last year. Right. So they actually have a double test. In one test, they do both the antigen and the antibody. But still, standard of care, so you, you can buy it in the pharmacy in the US and then you do it at home. And uh, Right. So that's, uh, that's, that goes back to the white paper to discuss all these. Yeah, it's all the, all really... those, uh, all those. And again, depending on which strategy you have, then you deploy the appropriate test. Yep. Uh, and if in the screening strategy, you have to have a quick point of care test. Yep. In the clinical testing, you have, a, you have to have an extremely accurate test. Right. Uh, et cetera. Which, so, which is mean, exactly what we've been talking about and how we find that right point that helps us do the things we need to do and have yes. the others at yes. our disposal when we need them. Yes, absolutely. You know? I, sh I should mention that actually um, Roche is also the company that has picked up 
as like Dubai Sensor, yeah. Invest, or at least partnered with them and plans to take them global. And we also saw the WHO briefing yes. where Bill and Melinda Gates invested in this antigen test as well as the Abbott version yes. of the antigen test um, to deploy into third world countries. Yes. They, they the way of beginning to control spread. They have purchased 120 million tests from SD Biosensor and Abbott. And uh, SD Biosensor has this this test has recently been partnered with Roche. So Roche partnered with them. Uh, and again, you know, this is also another testament for me that this is a very high quality test because yeah. Roche, they could do their own test like tomorrow. You know, they can right. kind of sneeze and they have a test. I mean, they they, they have uh, you know 30 billion dollars in cash probably in their bank account. Uh, and generating like a billion every month. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, uh, and, and yet uh, they have one antigen test in their portfolio and they chose the SD Biosensor antigen. As the, as the one to do. <laughs> as the one. So, uh, you know, again, this gives me uh, also uh, some level of certainty that I wasn't completely crazy when I chose uh, the SD Biosensor over many others who I, which I tested and validated. Yeah. Um, because again, these guys know what they're doing in, in general. And we're still hitting, I mean, based on your own results as well as published results, 93 and close, yeah. in terms of that sensitivity. We are extremely, extremely, very, extremely close. Specificity, specificity is really 100%. Uh, again, we had this once uh, manufacturing fault uh, issue, mm -hmm. um, which is beyond our control. And other than that, um, we are literally, we, I think we had like one or two false positives uh, and uh, really very few false negatives also. Exactly. I mean, obviously it's very difficult to track the false negatives. You never know. In a way, you never know. There's but we had, but we actually had one, uh, almost a clinical sample because one of our customers asked us to do uh, 458 tests uh, concurrently, antigen and PCR. So we were swabbing at the same time. Oh, them. gotcha. Okay, so you had, <laughs> you had total validated samples. Total validated samples, and uh, we had uh, uh, we had zero false positive, and right. we had one false negative out of five hundred and uh, four hundred and fifty-eight. Wow! Yeah. So that's good. That's so really it's extremely good. So one false negative. So that's like zero point two five percent false negativity. Brilliant. We should met, hasten to mention that there are a lot of bad tests out there yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah and, and yeah, people yeah. are reading about oh, those yeah. every day so and then i think there was an article that was pushed to me today about you know some tests that had been bought by some entities um that were only pushing 30 percent sensitive yeah. maybe 40 50. we know that they exist out there and and that was a cornerstone of our conversation as we talked about what kinds of tests and which one to use as we were in the middle of summer planning this out um, and so, you know, did, we will be very upfront and say there are bad tests out there. Oh, yeah, Ours yeah, isn't tests. one of them. <laughs> and there are bad PCR tests. You know, as well. Yeah. As well. Uh, so, uh, again, nobody is talking about this, but there's a very nice analysis by uh, uh, actually an analytical, like a financial anal analyst uh, house. Uh, they analyzed about 50 different PCR uh, test kits uh, from mm -hmm. a manufacturing standpoint. And their limit of detection varied between 50 and 100,000. Wow. I, I think I remember that report. That was very early, wasn't it? Very early. It was in February. A lot February. of the uh, first uh, Amazon-based antigen tests yeah. were coming out, and they had to do a review of them. Yeah. So, 
so again it's and it's everywhere i mean it's not just in COVID. it's everywhere you know and uh, uh and uh, and that's that that's where i mean i i was uh, i was uh, reluctant uh, when i first saw the antigen test because i the first the sd biosensor was still not available and the others i saw and there were three or four one korean and three or four chinese they were not very good they were yeah. not very good I, t I tested all of them i saw the numbers and they were really not very good. <laughs> so I thought, my God, you know, it's too bad because this is such a cornerstone in HIV. Why cannot we have a similar one in here? And, uh, and finally, I discovered this one. They still had the, the initial batches were actually lower sensitivity. And then they upgraded in May. Uh, mm -hmm. They had a different manufacturing setup. And that's where they, the sensitivity increased from 84 to 96.5. Excellent. Well, we've got, we definitely got the right test because we're definitely seeing the results here. That's yes. for sure. Well, sir, I, I don't see anything else in the chat stream. I've kind of checked up and up back and forth. So I think we're ready to call. Uh, there was one more comment about the fact that it may not be as expensive as we think the Roche uh, test. So uh, we'll leave it at that and say that's, what, uh, that's the name of the game out there is everything's constantly in motion and constantly changing. Again, reinforcing the fact that uh, I'm sure happy to have you as our partner as we continue to face these challenges on a daily basis. My pleasure. Um, and thanks again to community one and all out there. We appreciate everything you're doing uh, as partners with us uh, to do the best we can in the face of this uh, growing challenge. Uh, but we'll keep, we'll keep plugging along if you will and uh, try to Absolutely. keep our community as safe as possible. Dr. O, thank you so much again this evening. Thank you, pleasure. All right, I'm going to head to music then and uh, take us all out. So thank and if you. I don't see you before the break, stay safe during the break. Because I think we don't have the next town hall next week, right? And we do not have a town hall yeah, next week. Thank yeah. you for reminding me. <laughs> our next town hall will be after the break. After the so break. after we get our two days of testing and right after we get some kids back in the building, yes. uh, we'll pull a town hall together and we'll remind everybody about our protocols and practices for that week or two after the break and how we're going to make sure we keep everybody safe here at ASW. Thank Learning you. never stops. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, have a good night, sir. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you, bye.